crying all the time um, because of his suffering, and he became diagnosed with something like 12 different life-shattering diagnoses. And they said it would be this way for the rest of his life. There was no cure. So I knew only a couple things from God um, in the very beginning of his illness, and God told me two things. He told me that, number one, this was going to be a fight. And number two, Carson will not always be sick. And so I thought he meant it'll be a couple months and then we'll get back to our normal life. And I also, you know, he said it would be a fight, but I I didn't really know what I was fighting. I thought I was fighting some kind of, uh, you know, philosophy of illness or like doctors or some diagnosis or something. And, And that was true, but that was really only a part of what we would eventually find out what the fight was about. And it would take us years to find that out. And only really in the last nine months do we even have a clue about what this has been about all this time. And, and it's, it's crazy. And, but that's a story for another day. I, I'm not telling that one right now. But you'll have to stay tuned or stay with us in the story. But uh, the trial was very painful, and, and it didn't let up, and it, uh, it didn't get any easier. We had the support of my parents, who were always helpful, would always you know, do anything we, we needed, but mostly everyone else sort of just left our lives. Um, that's kind of what happens you know, when trauma goes on a really long time. We're pretty good in society to help somebody in crisis, but... When a trial goes on really long and it's really bad, nobody really knows what to do and nobody knows what to say. And, um, you know, all of our friends kind of left and my kids' friends. And people mean well, but, but when they can't really do anything, they just kind of fall away. And we were in such a place of just trying to survive every day that we couldn't really work on relationships ourselves either. So about two years into Carson's illness, I was, I was just in a really dark, desperate place. I just, I, I wouldn't, I, I wasn't suicidal. I, I wouldn't have taken my own life, but if I could just have figured out a way to just not live anymore, that would have been fine with me. I didn't see any reason. But the worst part of it was that I, I really felt completely abandoned by God. I couldn't reconcile the pain he was enduring with, you know, the God that I had always loved and served. And um, I was just, it was just kind of like, you know, this is a common way the enemy wins the hearts of people away from God, uh, especially in trauma, is, um, and this is something, um, something that Alexis touched on too, but the enemy will project to us his own nature and make us believe it's the nature of God. So he will, you know, accuse us, but really he's the one that causes pain. Really he's the one that abandons. But he will project it to us so much that we begin to, begin to believe that's actually God's nature. And um, so my own body was ravaged by stress also. I was about 20 pounds underweight. I just, if my son was going to starve to death, I couldn't find any you know, pleasure in eating anything. And uh, my relationship with my husband was very strained. Um, We were both trying to do the best we could 
but I, he didn't really have a grid for my emotional pain, and I didn't really understand how he could just turn it off and go to work, you know, but, but someone had to work, and someone had to live at the hospital with the child, and so, you know, I think at times of especially stress, we tend to put expectations that are too high, you know, sometimes on our spouses to be and do for us what really only Jesus can be and do for us. Um, I'll, just, I'll just leave that one there. But I was, um, I was having these reoccurring nightmares every night, and they weren't clear, but they involved dread and Carson somehow, and I would wake up just choking, you know, not be able to breathe. And that was pretty much every night. And I just, I was at the point where I just, I realized that there are things that are worse than death. And that a lot of times we don't fear our kids dying as much as we fear them suffering. And then about five years ago, something happened where God literally threw me a lifeline. And it was like I was just drowning in this water that was just dark and I didn't, I just didn't think I could fight anymore. It was like he threw me a rope just to see if I would grab on. And, um, this is how God works with us. He makes us offers. And we don't always perceive them as offers when they happen. We don't, we don't know that that's what's happening. Usually we can't see it until we look back, you know, a good bit later and we think, oh, wow, that was really a defining moment. I had no idea. But that's, that's really what he does. And how this happened was a woman that I, I barely knew. She was a friend of my kids' teachers. She came over to pray with us. And so she did pray with us for about a half an hour, which was very nice. And I never saw her again. She went to, uh, she moved to Texas after that. But when she did, she brought a book over to my house and she just laid it down. And this book kind of floated around our coffee table for a couple days until one day I picked it up. And it was a book about Smith Wigglesworth, who was a British preacher in the late 1800s, and this book was a, a collection of his sermons and stories of his life. And I started to read this book, and God just arrested my heart. I, I just, like, this man would heal people wherever he went. He even, there's some records of him raising people from the dead. And he had this disdain for illness, and he had a very strong relationship with the Holy Spirit and a very uh, strong relationship with the Word of God. But I, I don't really know how to explain what happened to me in that moment. Um, I had been in church all my life and been, you know, heard a thousand sermons, probably more than a thousand. That's probably actually a really no, low number. But uh, I just had never seen anything that like in my Christian experience what was written in this book. And something inside me said, if this is real, then there's actually a whole lot I don't know about God. And I need to know if this is real or not. And so from that day on, really, really to this day, I became driven. I became driven. I needed to know the truth. I needed to know what the Lord really believes about healing. I needed to know what he really thinks about it. I needed to know what the word said about it. And and so from that moment, I launched myself 
into studying the Bible. I studied about 200 other books. I didn't do anything else. I, I pretty much, we couldn't really go anywhere. Carson's very homebound. So I, I took care of him. I kind of, you know, did laundry, whatever. Keep, keep track of the house a little bit. But otherwise, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to watch TV. I just, I spent hours a day studying the Bible and sobbing and praying and studying all these books. And I did this for months and months. And, and really, I still do it. Um, and I started to claw my way out of this dark pit I was in. And it was like my theology was changing on everything. I, like what Alexis said, when, you're, when your paradigms are changing, it's not an easy process. It's, it's uh, turmoil, actually, to, to you know, come into realization that many of the things you were taught are actually not right. And to relearn then, and it's this tumultuous process of like, you know, excavation that happens inside of you when God starts changing, you know, things deeply. And, and the situation with Carson wasn't changing at all. He was still horrible every day, and I was still sobbing every day about that. But at the same time, God was doing this deep work in me. And so in relationship with God, we grow and we change. He offers us these spiritual upgrades, but it, it's really up to us. And we have some personal responsibility in it. Uh, it. It's a cost of like obedience and submission and taking what he's offering. And so if he works with us by giving us offers, then what's really important for us to know is the power that's in our choices. Okay? Because the enemy works really hard, just like Alexis was speaking about, to create a narrative that is this false narrative coming to our minds all the time that, you know, well, we, we just can't really change that. We don't, we don't really have a say in the matter. Uh, nothing we do is really going to change the situation or no matter what, nothing's going to get better or this is really not for me. I'm not really gifted in that or, um, you know, no one's going to believe that God really told me this and so on and so on and it comes all day long. And then another kind, a common lie of the enemy is, uh, well, I can never do that. It's not really my personality. But see, here's the thing with this one. In, in relationship with God, we actually get to find out what our real personality is. Because God is all, he is all the personalities. He is like, he's our comfort, right? And he's our uh, mighty defender. He is our, he is mercy, but he is also, you know, just father and so he is everything he is the lamb of god he is the lion of judah he is all the juxtapositions of personality and so when we have a god that limitless then the only limits we have are the ones we put on ourselves right So, you know, even if you said, well, yeah, I'm an introvert, I don't really like to be in front of people, but see, like, introverts don't even stay introverts with Jesus, because he takes introverts and he expands them and he fills in the gaps and he takes extroverts and he makes them smaller and more intimate, shows them the value of intimacy, and so if, if you actually let him, then there's this crossover thing that happens where you actually start to live in what you're not naturally. Does that make sense? 
and really, and, you know, even looking at that further, basically we can do anything that he tells us we can do. So another major way the enemy lies to us is through chronic illness or any other condition that affects our body, like depression, anxiety, things that are attacks on our physical body. And, and understand that nobody gets the limitations of physical illness more than I do. For sure, there are actual limits that come with, with illness and, and uh, you know, things that happen in our body. But what I'm talking about here is the accepting of illness as a fact or as something unchangeable or listening to the doctors over the voice of God. And so when we do that, we actually give the illness more power than it should have. Because the enemy is constantly trying to get us to agree with his agenda, right, over the Lord's agenda. And if he can get our agreement, he has the power then to inflict us further. So with Carson, what God told me from the very beginning was, I was not to ever let him believe what the doctor said. And so, of course, they were saying things like, you know, these illnesses are for life. He'll never, you know, all we can really do is control symptoms. And, you know, that's pretty much his life. You know, someone that manifests with this severity of disease is not going to have a normal life. And so this was a choice I had to make right in the beginning. And I felt it so strongly from the Lord. Um, I knew somehow his life depended on it. And I do really believe that if I... If I hadn't made that active, proactive choice at that time, then he wouldn't be alive today. I really don't believe that he would. I think he would have just died years ago. And what I, I, didn't, I know now that I didn't really know then is that when we don't listen to the Lord and we instead agree with, agree with the enemy over our physical conditions, then what happens is we can actually cause our, our spirit to disagree with our body. Because we are first a, we're first a spirit with a soul and a body. And so when we agree with the enemy, we are disagreeing with the creator that made our bodies. So if the Lord says, don't agree with the doctors, and the doctors come at me with, you have this diagnosis, then if I choose to listen to the doctors over the voice of God, then I am giving place to the enemy. That's what I'm doing. And I'm not saying doctors do this knowingly, and I'm also not saying, like, stand there and be like, I disagree, you know. I'm saying have a nice, cordial conversation with the doctors who are trying to help you. And, And we have some wonderful doctors. We just don't really take what they say from a natural evaluation over the voice of God, what God is saying. Okay, I'm also not saying that diagnoses don't exist. And I'm not saying you don't go forward with a plan of action. Um, We went forward with every plan of action that was ever presented to us and so many more. We, we, We went down every medical road. We went down every natural path road. I took him to all over the country. I took him to Tampa. I took him to Montana. I took him to New York City for six months. I, we did everything we could think of to do for him. And you know, nothing has really helped him thus far. But if you give a diagnosis more power than the voice of God, 
then you're already placing yourself outside of the realm where you can hear from him for the answers you need. Okay, and I realize there's many people battling many physical conditions, and even in Christianity, and, you know, people do their best to stay positive and, you know, have faith in the middle of limitations because we think that's what's required of us. But what if we really believed that God wants healing and wholeness for us? Like, what if instead of Christian positivity, you know, that we muster up, we could really believe that by the stripes of Jesus we are healed? And what's frustrating to me about the condition of the church today, and, and I don't mean a specific church, I just mean the, corp, you know, the corporate church, is that if we are honest, the church really doesn't look any different than the world. As far as illness, we have all lots of illness, we have lots of anxiety, we have a lot of depression, we have a lot of oppression, and it looks no different. And so since we can't really explain why we serve a God who is our healer, right? I mean, most of us would believe that. Then we make up wrong doctrines to justify what we see in the natural. So, you know, well, it's just we're a product of the fall of man. There's not really anything we can do. The, the earth just gets worse and worse. Yes, that actually is true. But we forget that Jesus came to give us life abundant, right? And we, you know, we hear a lot of things in the church about, you know, um, well, I mean, because most of us don't, we don't have a problem believing that Jesus can heal us, right? He's God, of course, he could heal us. But where the problem comes in is that we don't believe he wants to. And we don't believe, so which is the problem of we don't believe he's good. Because if we knew he was good, we would know that he wants to. <coughs> And I really feel like it's time for the church especially to decide what to believe about what his word says and what his real nature is and in relationship with find out what is his real will for healing. So we worked really hard at never allowing Carson to believe what the doctors were saying. So we would, you know, every time we would get ready to go into a doctor's office or we'd be in the hospital and doctors would be about to walk into the room and I would say, you know, he'd be 12 or 13 and I would say, okay, you know, you know, the doctors are coming in here. They're going to talk about how this is for life. They're going to talk about this. They're going to come at it from this point of view. You know, this is all crap. You know, can I say crap? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's as vile language as I get, so. Um, but, you know, and he would be like, I know, Mom, I know, Mom, I know, I know, Mom, I know. You know, and I, you know, we did this for years and years and years, and we made a point of it, you know, every time. And many people don't know that his, his twin brother, Cole, also suffered with digestive illness, and he was hospitalized a couple times as well. And for a time, he had to receive a medication in his body, and... Uh, he had to do this, it was like a two-hour infusion we had to do over at Christiana Hospital, so we had to pull into the parking lot, and we would do this before, last year he got his own car and he drove himself, but before that, this is how we handled it. We would drive in the parking lot, and we would say, okay, we're going to pray about this, and we would do it out loud, and we would declare, and we would say, Lord, you know, because the Lord had promised us healing for every member of our family, and, uh, you know, it wasn't only Carson, it was for all of us, so we would be like, Lord, 
I'll be real honest, we don't understand why we have to do this. And you have promised us healing, and we believe you, but you know we're on a path here that we have to be on until you change it. So we are just declaring out in the atmosphere that the enemy wins nothing because we believe you over what is going on in the natural. We do have to walk down this road, so we're going to do it. But and, and we would, you know, declare this in the car, and we would say, you know, Jesus' name, amen. And then he would get in, and he would go into the doctor's office, and he would get the dumb medication. And, you know, it was frustrating, but, but we let the frustration drive us to faith, not, not drive us against God. Okay, because we believe. We believe what God said. We're going to talk about faith tomorrow. I'm actually really excited about that. My point to all this is you can walk a very difficult road with your physical body while being in complete disagreement with it in the spirit. Okay? It does feel weird. It feels weird to live that way. You feel like you're living in like this weird double life thing. But it, it is very much possible. And so the enemy will always make us believe we don't have choices while the Lord is continuing to make us offers, hoping that we will take them. And if we don't proactively choose then life will choose for us, right? We have to choose. A default thing will happen where it's not usually the choice of God that happens. So I just want to share with you a, a few personal examples that, of kind of things that happened in our life on this road of faith that we've been on where God continued to give us offers on the path, okay? And... I know that everybody here has a lot of your own things that you're dealing with. I just hope some of these might be relatable to you or relate to something that's going on in your life. Uh, many times over the past few years, we had to make choices for what God was saying over what anyone else in our life was saying. And I'm sure to the outside world, Looking in, it probably looked like, you know, oh, this mother just doesn't want to believe that her son has a disease and she's just living in denial, you know. And I guess it could look like that. The, the honest truth was I was not, from God, supposed to accept it. So, uh, I, you know, I was living in denial, but I was, I was, like, choosing. You know, I was choosing denial. And so one time we had a pastor friend that came and sat us down. And he's still a friend today. But he came and sat us down, and he had been through a process of coming into acceptance of his own with his own child, and that brought him a measure of peace. He had a lot of turmoil when his child was first diagnosed. It was actually with autism. And so he had been through a rough period, and he had learned to come to peace with God over the diagnosis of his child. And he really, I mean, in love, he sat us down. I think he felt like he was doing some kind of intervention for us, but wanted us to accept Carson's diagnosis so that we could have the same peace that he had. The problem was that that was in direct opposition to what God was telling us to do. And so sometimes it can be that we have to choose the voice of God over people, over even the people that we love or even people that were well-meaning well or, you know, usually it's only people in our close circle that can rattle us you know, it's not usually people outside of that. It's usually, it's usually people that we do care about that have the ability to speak into our lives, that have the ability to kind of rattle us a little bit on 
on what we're really hearing from God. But at the same time, that's a really important exercise to go through because in the, in the turmoil of that, because people we love can cause us to question what, you know, that they're the ones that cause it, well, maybe I'm not really thinking right about this, or maybe I, you know, maybe I just didn't hear God right, or maybe, maybe they're right, you know, and, and they're the ones that really can cause us to question what, with what we're hearing from God is true or not. And so it makes you kind of go through this turmoil thing where you wrestle with it a while until you come back to, hopefully, I mean, you might not, hopefully you do though, come back to the voice of God. And, and become, it makes you, it's a good exercise because it makes you more sure when it's all over. And the same thing happened to me one time also regarding a book that someone gave me. I had a friend who, um, you know, saw what we were going through, handed me a book, and it was a Christian book, and it said something about hope on the cover of it. And I thought, great, hope, I need that, sure. So we, uh, we're getting ready to go to New York City with Carson for uh, months. We went there for months, and I thought, well, I'll take this book with me. But uh, every time I would pick up the book, I would start to read it, and I, I would have this weird aversion to it. So this book was written by a Christian author who was a mom who had lost a baby girl. And this was her story of you know, coming again to peace with God over her loss. I have no idea what the book was about because I actually never read it. But what happened was I would start to read it and there would be this weird, you know, like I just kind of thought at first, oh, I'm tired. I'm just not getting it. I'll put it down. I'll pick it up tomorrow. So next day I pick it up. I start reading and it's like I feel this no, you know, I'm like, that's weird, you know, and I keep trying, though, you know, and I'm reading it because I'm, I'm thinking, of, you know, you're, when we self-evaluate a lot, <laughs> it doesn't help you because you're like, well, my friend gave me this, I really need to, you know, I really need to read it, but every time I pick it up, it would say, you know, it was like the Lord was saying no. And so then I went into logic mode, you know, I start reading and I'm like, there's scripture here, there's, she's not saying anything wrong, like, I don't. I don't know, you know, but I'm starting to get it. You know, I'm starting to get it. So one day I take the book and I'm like, what is up with this book? I don't understand. And I take it and I throw it in the trash. And then I looked at it because I was, you know, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? If she asks me if I read this book, I don't know. You know, I throw it there, but I have like peace comes over me. And the Lord's like, yes, that's what I wanted you to do with that book. And I started to understand, like, again, honestly, I don't know if that book had a wrong view described of the nature of God in it, or really it just was that I am not supposed to be on a journey of accepting death. I was supposed to be on a journey of accepting life, and he just didn't want me to read it. So I, I, I learned a lot with that experience. Another thing happened when uh, one time... We came home from the hospital. We had been in the hospital for months, and Carson had a feeding tube. So for the non-medical people, a feeding tube is, you know, it's usually it's hooked to a IV pole, and it's a tube that you know, usually tape it to your face, and it goes down your nose and into your stomach, or it can go, they can place it into your small intestine, and they drip formula into it. So it's, it's basically baby formula. It's what Carson was getting was the 
most broken down molecules of, of really broken down baby formula. That's what it was. And in doing that, they hope that your digestive tract then can start to absorb without having to do very much work. So that's why, that's why feeding tube, they will do feeding tubes often, and we'd had them several times, and we had them for months at a time. They're not fun. But so when you are, uh, when you come home from the hospital, they have a case manager who makes sure, you know, you get all your medical supplies once you get home from the hospital so you can then continue the care. So they actually, you know, you get home and they come bring it, like within an hour. It's amazing. And when you, when you're mixing up baby formula, like for a baby, you, you know, you're just using a little scoop of powder and you're putting it in there and, you know, you're mixing up like eight ounces. But when you're mixing up, the calorie needs for a 17-year-old, you are going through gallons and gallons of this stuff. So we had this uh, big shipment of cans and boxes that just got piled in our kitchen. And we were just going through cans of this a day, and, you know, we had just come out of the hospital, so we were exhausted, and, you know, the kitchen is a hospital again, and all this medical stuff, and one day I decide, okay, I don't, you know, we're going to trip over this stuff. I don't want it all sitting here. So I decide I'm going to put these cans in our pantry. I have this little pantry cabinet. I'm like, okay. So I start rearranging, trying to make space, and I'm moving stuff out of the way. And I'm doing this, and the Lord says to me, don't give it a home. And I, it caught me off guard. I wasn't praying or anything. And I stepped back, and I was like, okay, you know. And it, it wasn't that the, the formula should sit on the floor in the kitchen or it should be in the pantry cabinet. It was, it was the Lord saying, if you make a space for it, even in your home, you might be tempted in some little way to compromise your faith. I need you to have this really strong faith. And by giving it a place to come in your house and land, I might be tempted in some tiny way to, you know, not continue to believe, or I might just make a little bit of allowance for it. So I closed the pantry cabinet, and the stuff sat there, and we tripped over it for months. But in the tripping over it, it still was a daily reminder that this is temporary. Like, we had to look at it every day, and we just, it, we just had to then keep saying, this won't always be here, it's just this pile of stuff. You know, it's not always going to be here. And so sometimes the choices are really subtle like that. When you're on a path with God, he will literally hold your hand and carry you and show you what you need to do. Sometimes the choices can be drastic. A few years ago, we were, it was, Lacey was graduating from high school, and we were trying to, in all of the turmoil and the hospitalizations, we were trying to maintain some kind of normalcy for our other two kids, which was impossible. But we just thought, oh, we gotta, we got to take her to visit some colleges. Like, that's what parents do, right? So we need to do that. So she and I took a quick trip to Tennessee for just a couple days. My husband stayed with Carson, and... He was doing terrible, by the way. It was just awful. But at the same time, you know, when you're the mom and you have one extremely ill child and you have a couple of healthy children, it's very difficult to always live in two different places at one time and be celebrating with the ones that are, are you know, 
doing great, you know, normal things in life while sobbing for the other one who can't. And it's just this, it's this weird existence. So we were coming home. We did that, and, and we had a great time. We, we were coming home, and we were in the mountains of Virginia. And it was February, and it was this really weird, unusual cold snap. And we, it was at night, and we had this little car, like this little Honda Fit car, like not an SUV, like just this little lightweight car. And we ran it into the worst snowstorm and driving conditions I have ever been in. And it got really bad, really fast. It was like a minus 17 wind chill that night, and, and we could see maybe one foot in front of the car. We could not see. It was terrifying, and there was like this snow squall thing happening, and, and people were annoyed at how slow I was going, so they were passing me, uh, big trucks passing me, and, and we went a couple miles down, and there were all, they were all crashed into each other and into the guardrails. And there was not going to be emergency services coming for them for a long time. But we were, so we're driving, and I have this death grip on the steering wheel. And I am thinking, I don't know if we're going to make it, because I've never been so scared driving in my life. So I'm gripping the steering wheel. We see on the uh, GPS we had 20 miles to get to our hotel, which that might, uh, might as well have been California. You know, we were just like, we're, not, we're never going to make it. I mean, we just did not know. So I'm gripping the steering wheel, and a voice comes to my mind with words. You are trapped. There is nothing you can do except for stop the car right here and die. And man, I tell you, it was very convincing. For like a split second, I almost agreed with that. But I, I looked over at Lacey, and I, obviously she didn't hear the voice. So I, I looked at <laughs> I looked over at her and thought, she didn't hear that. And I thought, no, I will not let her die. And I will not teach her that we give up when things are hard. And so we kept creeping along, just little by little by little. And we made it to our hotel, and we, right? We made it that night, and we got there, and we shook for two hours. We were just so terrified. It was so bad. But even the enemy wants us to make choices. Even the enemy wants us to make choices to end our lives. And, you know, he hates us. I don't know if you really know that. He hates you. He hates me. He is unrelenting. There are so many scriptures that describe the power of our choices. If you read all of Jesus' words, you start to notice it. You just realize everything he said was an offer. And he was just like, please take it, please take it. And we throw this phrase around, you know, God created us with free will. And, and we hear that, but we, we don't often really know what that really means. You know, because even in, in the Garden of Eden, there had to be a wrong choice available for us to ever learn how to make the right one, right? The very fact that God gave us free will meant the wrong choice has to, had to also be available with us. So to build something deep and good in us, our character, our strength, our faith, God often must allow us to face the opposite thing 
so that we, because that's what forces the choice that we make. So if we never face disappointment, we don't have the opportunity then to choose faith. If we don't face down the tendency to become offended, we don't make the choice not to become offended, not to be a person that's easily offended. If we don't ever face a time of loneliness, then we don't ever make the choice to find out that Jesus is everything. And if we don't ever face situations in life where we suffer a loss of control, we don't make the choice to learn how to relinquish control to the Lord. And that's a tough one. We, we actually think we control so many things that we actually don't. If we don't ever face an extended time of financial loss or lack or leanness or debt, then we don't make the choice to learn how to depend on God completely for provision. And if we don't face down some of our worst fears, we often will not make the choice to overcome fear in our lives. And in my case, if I didn't ever face an extended time of illness with somebody that I love, someone that I would have given my life for, I wouldn't have the reason to make the choice to find out what God's will is for healing. Here's the scary thing about our choices. When God gives us an offer and we don't take the offer, we don't, I believe there's kind of a blindness that comes over us. We don't readily see the next offer when it comes. And that opportunity with God that we could have had may not present itself again for years down the road. I don't know what you're going through in your lives. I know in a group this size, this represents so many different things. But I don't know about you. I don't want to waste my time while I'm here on earth. I I want whatever God is offering all the time. I don't want to forfeit what I could have had because I'm not, I'm not, seeing what he's offering and I'm not willing to take it. I can tell you that my marriage is good now. (laughs) I don't have nightmares anymore. Uh, Last year we paid off all of the rest of our medical debt. And our son is still very sick. I, um, I even months ago when I was praying about having to share a testimony here. I, I was praying about it, and I was like, Lord, really? Like, we, you know, we thought his healing would be before now. Um, I was like, am I really going to have to speak from a place of still not seeing victory? And he said, you're going to speak from the same place no matter what. You live in spiritual victory. So whether he's healed by then or not, you're going to speak from the same place. Okay, Lord. But he has systematically healed almost everything in our lives. And he's done it, and he will finish what he started. So when Carson's healing finally happens, we will be completely made whole. I know you will be amazed at what he does if you just 
Find out what he's offering you and start taking it. All right, let's just pray. Oh, Lord God, just thank you, God, so much for how you work with us, God, for how you offer things when we don't know you're doing it. Lord, just thank you for... You have such big plans, God. You have such big plans for our lives, and we have no idea. God, please don't let us limit ourselves in any way. Don't let us limit you. Father, we want to take everything that you are offering. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.